is the Canuck Central Post Game Show. Forced to the near corner by Myers. Passes back to Montura. Left circle, one timer, and Glenn scores! Montura, left side, Eklad, one timer. Martin was ready this time. Made the save, then Barkov scores on the rebound for the right wing side. Second power play goal of the game for the Panthers, and they take a two goal lead. It's four to two. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Pedersen, left point to Hughes, back to Pedersen, one timer, he scores! Elias Pedersen with a long range drive from the line. Beats Sergei Bobrovsky, and the Canucks get a power play goal to make it a one-goal game. Of the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks lose 4-3 in Florida against the Panthers, and this is the Canucks Central Postgame Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. As always, get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And we are going to bring in Dan Riccio into the discussion in just a moment's time here, Bick. But the Canucks, they were down 4-2, thoroughly outplayed in the second period. We talked about it during the intermission in the third well Canucks were a bit better Florida wasn't able to to really attack Vancouver and put them away Elias Patterson scores and boy oh boy did it make for a wild finish Canucks coming up just short yeah ultimately just short uh obviously the 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 power play goal for PD is massive we were talking about that in the pregame stats so there you go he's uh now on the board trying to get to that uh, total of five that you were we were talking about uh pregame but you kind of just look at this whole game and, and, and their offensive output in the first two goals. Again, you take them because you got them. Kind of fluky goals coming from the point. And I know Cheech was talking about a lot. Um, the goals coming from, you know, total like near 200 feet still wasn't enough. They needed to generate more. And, and the second period continued to hamper the Canucks. Uh, after today, they'll go to minus 17 goal differential in the second period. It's by far their worst period. And it's been a problem continues to plague them they're fifth worst in the league at that mark now actually tied for fourth after tonight yeah it's you know it's it's very problematic right and you know you, you're kind of joking around but hey at least you didn't give up five tonight and that's kind of what, what you're looking at it's like hey you give up four goals is that is that i mean four is better than five but four is gave yourself a chance they did just barely came up short all right but go uh, figure on the day where you prevent them uh from scoring five you don't score four yourself yeah it's tough. It is tough. tough. It's tough. But hey, we talk about generating offense, and the Canucks had some opportunities on the man advantage. We're only able to get that one power play goal. All right, let's bring in Dan Richo into the discussion. Dan calling the game alongside Brendan Batchelor tonight. And Reach, I mean, you know, we talk about this all the time on Canucks Central, whether it's the pregame show on the show itself or even on the postgame show. Canucks games do not look all that different. But what did you make of this one here tonight? Well, it uh, didn't look all that much different, Sad. It's once again, uh, you know, one where you say the power play is the difference, and usually the other team's power play is the difference. Canucks give up two on the penalty kill, and uh, they only score one on the power play, and that's the difference in the game. And I thought, you know, one of the things that really stood out between the two units was just how aggressive the Panthers unit was in comparison. And I know you guys talked a little bit about this in the intermission, just how – 
you know, passive the Canucks penalty kill can be at times and just allow that space and time to see the next pass, to see where the shot is going to come, to get that second chance opportunity to score a goal. And that's, uh, you know, it's tough because how many games over the last, not just uh, season, but even going back to last season have been decided by special teams. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sometimes when we see these cold streaks from the Canucks power play, you know, we, we, we try to nitpick, but you know, one thing that I wonder about is the four lefties and how difficult it is to, you know, play with a little bit more urgency because everything's just a bit labored. Like when that puck comes to Miller, he's got to kind of turn and get facing towards the net and it just slows everything down. And it's it just one thing that always kind of creeps in my mind if they have enough uh, quick options available to them. Well, and, and you see how the, the Panthers, like, like the Ekblad goal, you know, it, it's strange because you don't normally see um, two defensemen on a top power play unit, but we saw Florida run out there with Montour and Ekblad, and Ekblad has the big bomb on the left mm-hmm. half wall. It's his offside. The Canucks don't have, you know, two one-timers on each end of the rink to really threaten. So as much as Miller can pick the corner sometimes when they give him that shot going downhill, there's other times we see it just wrap, miss the net and then wrap around and go all the way out of the zone for an easy zone exit for the opposition. So you know, having those two, the, the, the two players on the flank both be able to set up for the one-timer can do wonders. I think you're, you're spot on with that pick. And when we look at the PK in general for Vancouver here, um, I don't know what these guys can really do to change things when I watch what they're doing. And the reason I say that is I don't see them trying to do anything different. And as far as the confidence goes, it's certainly not there. And it's not like they're having massive breakdown after breakdown reach like we've seen in, in previous iterations of this Canucks penalty kill. They're in the right spots a lot of the time, but they're just giving up way too much space. They're still not winning enough battles, and it seems like they're still making poor decisions at times. It just seems like they just... No matter what they do on the PK, they're so passive, eventually the puck finds a way to beat them. Yeah, and, and that's what you just can't have, right? Uh, the Barkov goal, the second power play goal that, that Florida scored, you know, that time Martin's able to get to the Ekblad one-timer, spills out the rebound. You know, the, your goalie's done everything he can do. You've got to be able to get to that puck and make sure it gets cleared. Do not allow the offense to recycle that puck and then find another chance. And that's exactly what the Canucks did. It's about winning those puck battles. It's about getting there and blocking shots. Like all these things that are old and cliche and whatever, you know, that's that's where this team is not executing, especially on the penalty kill. Yeah, just discipline. Again, it's it's yeah. it's it's finer details there, but you know, we talked about it in the second emission, three offensive zone penalties, and then you go through it and, and some of the goals that they gave up, it's chances to clear the puck out of the zone and, and not mm-hmm. difficult moments. You know, a weak one from Studnika, a really bad one from Lane Peterson. This is the things are that are absolutely costing them. It, it just constant discipline and being switched on all the time and, and, and concentrating. Yeah, and you know, those those zone exits uh yeah, especially the Eric Stahl goal. It's, you know, yes, it's you fan on the puck and, and you're unable to get it out. You're Lane Peterson in that situation. But, you know, then Riley Stillman and Ethan Bear are both like, you know, sort of exiting the zone and mm-hmm. Eric Stahl ends up left out all alone. And that's, you know, those are the kinds of things. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's a mistake on the player that's trying to clear the puck and you're not expecting it. 
but maybe you're a little too hasty. You've got to make sure that the puck is cleared before you allow that Florida player all that time and space in front of your own net. So these are the things that have crushed this team. It's the habits. It's the awareness switching off the things we've harped on and talked about all season long. And, you know, even these last couple of games where, you know, they give up the lead and then they are are chasing the game. Second periods are poor. They've been the worst or one of the worst second period teams in the league. And then third period, that's when they, they show up and they really push to the end. And it's, it's a valiant effort to try and get back in it. And they really had the pressure on Florida for the final five, 10 minutes there, but it's, it's all for naught. And that's sort of what last season ended up being a final hard push to the finish line. And it was all for naught as they miss out on the playoffs. And even now, you know, if you think about that in this season's context, I mean, it's it's going to be too little, too late once again. It certainly is trending that way. Uh, we have a lot of comments on the text inbox, as always, and we'll get to as many as we can here. And Alistair and Victoria says, this is the, the dream road trip. Let's shoot for five straight tomorrow in terms of trying to get the high draft pick. There's that sen- that sentiment. Also, frustration, as always. Ella does ask about Pedersen quietly. Another two points. His amazing season is being wasted. What are your thoughts on, on what's happening? So... I agree. As far as team results go, Elias Patterson's season is being wasted because this is the most productive he's been now. He's up to 52 points on the season in 40 games. He's been tremendous for this team. 19th goal of the season. Finally got one on the power play. Finally got his first power play goal of the season. We talked about how I set the over-under, Dan, at four and a half for the rest of the season. Only four more now, Bick, to get to those five power play goals we and talked about. I, by I the will end of say the really quickly here, uh, a lot lower event from him tonight, his line tonight as well. A lot better defensively, but... Yep. In terms of how he played tonight, how he's trending, and this being a, say, you know, wasted year for the team, yes, for him individually, he's lining himself up to earn a lot of money and convincing people around the league yet again that he's a superstar in this game. I mean, he's just, he's been unbelievable. You know, there there's a couple of plays. I mean, there's so many plays he makes, just little ones uh, that just wow you. You know, the the juke and jive to get the zone entry on, on the power play where uh, he left, uh, I'm forgetting which Florida defender it was, but just left him in the dust. There was, you know, the uh, sweeping the puck while he's falling face first onto the ice and almost scoring a goal that way. He had uh, the moment where uh, there was a little spin around move as he just gets the zone entry into the offensive zone to create some opportunities on the power play. I mean, so many little things that he does, little moments of brilliance that just kind of leave you with your jaw hanging open being like, wow, this guy is, is something special. And tonight, you know, he goes up against uh, Sasha Barkov for nearly 10 minutes at five on five and uh, mostly got the better of him. So, you know, that's the kind of night where you see Elias Pettersson as a true number one center in this league. And it's what should give you hope that there's something to build around here in Vancouver for the future. It's just continuously frustrating that we're now into sort of the middle of Elias Pettersson's career, and there's still a lot of question marks about how they're going to put a contender around him. Uh, a texting here from uh, Dave in Kelowna, uh, just asking about that goal that was called off. I don't have much of an issue with it. felt like Horvat uh, just accidentally knocked it off before that puck was What a in. save by Bobrovsky. <laughs> How did you see that play, was ridiculous yeah. on that play. How did you see that play? I mean, it's it's kind it of just bad off, luck, right? It, it really is bad luck. You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure what Horvat's supposed to do. I think Forsling kind of 
pushes him into the post mm-hmm. a little bit, but you know, I, I even when Horvat, you know, kind of looks up at the ref and is like, well, what the heck are you calling that off for? He kind of just gives a, a quick nod and says, okay, yeah, I, I, I get you. So it's it's not too much that you can really blame. I The, the Canucks put together really two solid shifts. It started with the Pedersen line there and then continued with the, that Horvat chance, um, but they just weren't able to score. And it was those moments where Bobrovsky came up huge with saves, I mean, all credit to Horvat, the way he, he dove out mm. to try and, and make the most of that moment, but Bobrovsky makes a huge stop. I just, I, I think there's, you know, when it's incidental, you, I, I'm not sure the exact ruling on, on, or the exact wording on the rule, but if it's not an offensive player that knocks the net off in that moment, it could be allowed, but because it's Horvat, I think that's why it, it ends up uh, being a no goal. Yeah, I mean, it- the the net is off, and at, at that stage, I mean, it, it is what it is as far as a call on that. Now, I don't want to get your thoughts on some of the decision making by Bruce Boudreaux, and the biggest discussion around Bruce Boudreaux is what what is going to happen with his future. And Elliot Friedman on Hockey Night in mm-hmm. Canada mentioning that if and when the Canucks are making a coaching change, and it is a matter of if, not when, ultimately, uh, with Boudreaux not coming back to Vancouver, that Rick Tockett is going to be that guy. So that's the big overarching conversation that I know a lot of people want to hear about, and we'll talk about that uh, as the postgame show goes on, though. But as far as the decision making, for Bruce Boudreaux, having Lane Peterson out there. We saw Lazar out there late against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now he almost scored. And Yannick mentioned to us on Friday, uh, Dan, that, hey, he made the right call. The guy almost scored. He got the chance that he was. He made the right call, just didn't go in. What do you make of these decisions late game by Bruce Boudreaux? I, I just don't... Um... I don't quite understand why uh, Andre Kuzmenko has been frozen out a little bit. <laughs> um, you know, he's been so dynamite for this team all season long, has been a dynamic offensive player. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, like I, I didn't love a lot of Kuzmenko's game tonight, and, and maybe you could even make that case the other night against Tampa Bay as well. It's just what frustrates me with, with Boudreaux is uh, – I feel as though we've gotten to the point where there's not much method to the madness. You know, if if you can, it, you have to be able to go on more than just a hunch, right? And, and maybe sometimes that's all coaching is, and I want it to be more than that. But, you know, if you're in, uh, let's say the Yankees, okay, way back when, they go with some other guy than Mariano Rivera to close <laughs> out a game, and it, it just so happens to work. It's like, oh, great call by the coach. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, what, what was the process in that? I'd still want to go with Mariano Rivera in that situation. I, I want to know what the process is t- towards making these decisions because it's clear, like, the most talented players aren't on the ice when you need a goal, and that's something I, I would question. I mean, he's kind of in just YOLO mode right now, too, right? I mean, we'll, we'll get to the bigger discussions yeah. here. In, in, I, you know what? A it's a big problem, guys. Like, yeah. let's be honest about it. I mean, this is it, – it's not a good look on anybody the way this is playing out. Well, I'll let you get, get a take in on this here, Reach, before we let you go for the evening. So, if indeed 
Talkit is going to be the guy. And as the reporting seems to indicate that they've decided he's going to be the guy. And one thing we talked about was I don't think Talkit has any interest in coming in, in as, as an interim coach. Maybe the earlier discussions the Canucks had with Talkit were maybe around the interim side of things and they want to take their time and figure out who the coach is. Based on the reporting now, it seems like the Canucks have figured out that Rick Talkit is going to be their coach. And if that is the case, and it's just a matter of time, whether you're waiting for him to get out of his deal with TNT or whatever it is, is the best course of action here to let Boudreaux go and have an interim until you sort that situation out with Talkit, if that's indeed what's going on? It, it seems awfully unfair to, to Bruce. Now, um, look, uh, being a head coach in the National Hockey League, a lot of times uh, these situations can be unfair. Bruce Boudreaux himself would know that. Uh, I believe it was when he took over in Anaheim it was something weird where he was just kind of like waiting in the hotel next door while Randy Carlisle was getting waiting to the coaching to the end of a game uh, to get the axe. And it was not that long after Bruce got let go by the Washington Capitals. I mean, look, there's there's 32 of these jobs um, when a team has made their decision. Um, it, it, it often does end up a little bit ugly and, and a little bit unfair, but you know, the way this situation is playing out, even for the team, um, if you know or if you keep hearing that this guy is not going to be the long-term guy, how does that affect you as a player? Um, I think all of these things apply. And you know, the bottom line is, now that this story has gotten out, you need some clarity in the near future on what exactly is going to be the case. The Canucks play in less than 24 hours, so I don't know if we'll find out before then, but... It's it, it's a tough look for everybody involved. Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, we'll see how the story evolves. And we'll be back discussing it tomorrow, each Sunday, when the Canucks conclude their five-game road trip in Carolina against the Hurricanes. 2 p.m. puck drop, pregame at 1. And we'll chat then, buddy. Sounds good. See you, boys. Uh, that's Dan Riccio calling the game alongside Brendan Bachelor tonight. Canucks losing in Florida 4-3 against the Panthers. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. And you can grab a phone line as well, 604-280-0650. We mentioned what Elliot Friedman had to say about Rick Tockett. We'll play back that audio. Also, we'll play back what Elliot Friedman had to say, the latest on Luke Shen and Bull Horvat. not to mention the injury situation involving Tanner Pearson. So we're going to play back all that coming up in the next segment. Before we get out of here, uh, we've been taking some text messages. Let's get to the phone boards real quick for one phone call. Let's go to Sam in Richmond waiting to get on. Sam, thanks for calling in. What's your take tonight? Hey, Sad, how are you? Good, buddy. Hey, I, I'm, you know, I've been a Canucks fan all my life, but I really don't understand why they want Rick Tockett. I, I don't get it. Like, they had Desjardins, they had Greener, they have Boudreaux now. And look, okay, so Boudreaux's contract is expiring. But I just don't understand where this is coming from. I thought Aquilini was all about, okay, you know, I don't want to pay for another coach. And, you know, and, you know, for paying for other coaches and stuff. I just, honestly, I, I'm, I'm bewildered that they're hiring another coach. This is a management issue. This is not a coaching issue. I honestly, I Googled Rick Tockett's coaching record. He had maybe two barely successful seasons in Arizona. So why do we want this man to be a coach? Like, I don't, he, he's right now on TNT, which he looks way more comfortable than actually being a coach, to be honest. And that's what his coaching record is. So maybe can someone under, explain to me why we're hiring another coach? Because I feel like we've been down this road a million times since Desjardins. So thanks, Sam. Have a good night. Hey, uh, yeah. Sam. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, good passion there, man. Okay. So the one thing I will say is, so far, nobody's been hired. 
And what I've heard all along is you want to get through this season. That's been the team's goal. But what keeps happening with this team? They keep losing and they keep playing poorly. And I understand, unsigned text, hey guys, do we really need a coaching bump? This team isn't making the playoffs. Go get the high draft pick. I totally understand and I totally agree with the sentiment overall. But like we've been saying, when the team plays really poorly, usually what happens is something's going to have to give somewhere. The preference had been all along to get to the offseason and then bring somebody in for next year. Maybe that's shifting. And I think the biggest reason to answer Sam's question, why the owner is willing to maybe do this, is because if you're hiring your next long-term guy, you're hiring him for however many years and the rest of the season. And if you're looking at the rest of the season, the cost won't be that much considering you're in the second half. So we're at a stage now because you're so much of the season is gone that the money's not that big of a factor when you're finding finding your longer-term guy. So I think that's part of it in terms of maybe you're willing to do something now. The overall sentiment, though, I'm there with, like, Mm -hmm. do you really need to make a coaching change in season? Is that important here? Is apathy setting in so much that you feel like tickets aren't being sold or fan interest is going down that you feel like you have to do something here? Is that playing a part of it? Or could it just be a simple answer here, Vic? When a team plays as poorly as Vancouver is and the trend is getting worse and worse and worse, I guess... These things just happen. It becomes mm-hmm. a credibility thing within an organization, no matter how you feel about things and how I feel about things. And maybe we're trending in that direction. Yeah, like there was a long march here for 40-some-odd games uh, to get down to it and say, well, we're not bringing you back. Thank you very much for your, your, your time. We've all, you know, for some stretch of time here, basically since the end of November, we've kind of known this was going to be the ultimate conclusion where Bruce moves on and, and the team moves on from Coach Boudreaux, to do it here in the next little stretch, is it a bit of a mercy move to say, hey, you don't have to do this out for for 40 more games? The thing that bugs me about this is, so Jim Rutherford takes over, okay, last December. We're going to do a GM search. Ultimately, you land on your guy. Yeah. The guy you work with in Pittsburgh. The guy you waited for six weeks just to interview, and then suddenly he was hired. You bring in Derek Clancy immediately. From the same organization. From the same organization. You want to do a coaching search, and it's someone you're very familiar with. And look, I understand who you know gets you farther than what you know and all that sort of stuff, but this is like a process question. And the Penguins have been wildly successful, and it's a model that's worth following. I understand that. But this is the thing that kind of perks your ears up and saying, like, what kind of search was there? Well, I, th- I think, hey, you can say that there was a search and we landed on the people that we knew all along. It's but, very convenient that but, it's your guy. Yes, but but here's the thing. like, What we see in the NHL, and we see this all the time, is yeah. people hire their people. Sure. And I don't think that's been really too far here. Now, we can talk about, say, you know, some of the hires like Cammy Granado and obviously Emily Castongay, yep. who were part of the front office, that there aren't those clear same connections with to the same degree. For you to look at and say, hey, the, you know, this is kind of what's happening here. So there, there is some of that as well to be fair about some of the hires that have been made. But you're right. If you're bringing Talkit in, here's another guy you know. Alvin, the guy you know. The other guy, the guy you know. So it's it's much it's more of the nepotism we normally see in the NHL where you bring your people in and they're the ones that take over. So if that's the case, I can understand 
why that gets posed. And we'll see ultimately if that does come to pass with Rick Tocca become the head coach of the Canucks. But a lot of discussions still here coming up for up for discussion, especially from you on our text inbox and on our phone boards. Plus, we'll hear from Elliot Friedman and Bruce Boudreaux as the Canucks Central postgame show rolls on. Canucks lose 4-3 in Florida against the Panthers. It's Satin Bick on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. On to the left wing for Ekblad. Back to Montour from the blue line. Bottom of the right circle. He'll pass to Barkov. Back to Montour. Left side Ekblad. One timer. Martin was ready this time. Made the save. Then Barkov scores on the rebound for the right wing side. Second power play goal of the game for the Panthers, and they take a two-goal lead. It's 4-2. to two. Canucks go on to lose 4-3 in Florida against the Panthers, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick and Azar. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Uh, we are going to go back to the phone boards coming up in a few minutes' time. We are going to hear from head coach Bruce Boudreau, plus the re- latest reporting on not only Bruce Boudreaux's future and Rick Tockett perhaps being the replacement, but we'll hear about Luke Shen and also the latest on Tanner Pearson. We'll get to that coming up in a few minutes. A lot of texts coming in as well, 650-650. Bruce to TNT is one question asked. He'd be great on TNT. Uh, this one says, uh, Marcus and Gibson's, they're not selling tickets. They're constantly advertising tickets available on the Canucks app. So, yes, they need to make some moves. That's Mike and Gibson texting in so you're getting a bit of everything in the text inbox here tonight Bick. yeah uh, and also uh some questions on what's going on with jack rathbone so you and yes. i are uh obviously paying attention to this canucks game uh haven't uh, obviously not watching the barracuda and abby canucks game uh but just to update people and, and and just picking up a clip off twitter uh from cody severson who does some great work over at canucks army uh posting this clip so it looks like sea laws misplays a puck behind the net and rathbone's trying to go after it and he collides with one of the sharks players or sorry the barracuda player yeah and he kind of lands awkwardly and his right leg buckles under his body and stretcher had to come out and they take uh, jack rathbone off he did give a thumbs up to the crowd uh so unfortunate. This guy's had so many issues staying healthy. Obviously, remember last year as well, uh, going into the boards. Uh, so that's just the update for some people who are texting in what's going on with Jack Rathbone. Obviously, we're kind of catching up on it as well, yeah. but uh, the entire medical team was out there and, he, again, just kind of gave a thumbs up as he was going off the ice. Tough scene there for uh, Jack Rathbone, as you mentioned, had another scary situation like this last year, but was able to recover pretty quickly and he was all right. So hopefully it's the same situation here. And uh, for those wondering, if you want to see the clip, you, I'm sure you can find it online and on Twitter, but... It wasn't anything really dirty on the play. No, they just... Rathbun kind of gets low, trying to go in for the play. Both guys going into the boards. When you see the play, Rathbun gets really low, sticks his head out. And it's really not intentional. It's just a really unfortunate kind of freak play that you see. And we just hope that Jack Rathbun is going to be all right. And we'll keep you updated if anything else comes up here before the postgame show gets to an end. Now, the coaching discussion is a big one here, consistently here on the text inbox. Also on the phone lines, you heard the phone call before from Sam in Richmond. Ben in Richmond says, an interim coach is the right thing to do because it treats Bruce with the respect he deserves and he should be the standard of a credible organization. Being frank with your employee by not leaving him in the in the wind while everyone knows you're trying to replace him, that's Ben in Richmond. Now, 
as far as how the team is responding to the coach, we'll get to the clips and we'll talk about this in itself. What did you make of how the Canucks played and performed this game in terms of their effort and engagement against your opponent? So are, were they, in your estimation, playing for the coach? Yeah, it certainly doesn't look like a team that's quit on their coach. Don't, they don't seem inspired, but they don't no. look like they've quit. Like We've seen what it looks like when they're checked out on the coach. We saw it at the end of the Travis Green tenure, a lot of laboring and just kind of tentativeness and not really trying to go the extra mile and you, you can laugh and say they don't really go the extra mile right now yeah but you know it I, I think we know what it looks like when a team quits on a coach yeah and i just don't get the sense like well they're trying to come back against tampa they've had every did. reason came back against florida almost did but they've had every, every reason not to go for it at the end of these games right and they've obviously done so i know there's recent quotes Kyle Burrow's talking about hey we're, we're still trying for bruce it's not that sort of scenario but as you mentioned it like at some point the, the losses just stack up and the writing just kind of goes on the wall. This is seven losses in the last eight games. Tough spot to uh, put your coach in. Look, it's it's all well and good to say, hey, the effort was there. They, mm-hmm. they, they need more of it. Yes. But it's it's kind of just like a generic baseline effort rather than really going all out for the coach. And right now for a team that's mired in these losses, are these games desperate enough? And for it, me, they're not. It's enough of a and like enough of a push, I suppose, right? Like it may, may be enough to, for you to be credible in the game, but not be a credible winner in games. And they lost four in a row here. And as we mentioned, this, the process is even worse. Uh, man, a lot of text coming in. This one says, "Yep, another joke of a game." You guys say a valiant effort. I'm not a fan of valiant efforts. I need wins yeah, and no, emotion and 100%. aggressive play. None of which we see as a team. If management is happy with this, so be it. But if not, talk to us, fans. Let us know what the plan is. If there is one, we deserve way better than this. That's Rick texting in. Uh, really quickly here, too. Uh, looks like there was a scoring change. Poor Elias Pettersson just does not have a power play goal yet. He, he Somebody else got that goal? Yeah. Who does it go off of? Number 30 for Bo Horvat. No way. So yeah. Bo gets the goal? Yeah. Oh, wow. Backdoor win for Dan Riccio on the anytime goal bet. There you go. Man, Massive. There you go. Nice. Huge. We'll take that at least. Yeah. You know, Two points for PD, but you know, doesn't get a goal on the power play. So we, we retract our earlier statement. Yeah. Pettersson has not. Had a goal on the power play. Maybe you're right. Maybe he doesn't have that, the luck this year. That, so that shifts so quickly. For, that's so bad luck for Pettersson. Yeah, he had not a single power play goal on the season. He has 52 points and 19, well, 18 Unreal. goals now because this one obviously didn't count, but it, it tells you about what's happening there. Now, this text says Bruce surely knows this is probably his last games behind an NHL bench. I don't feel bad for him as I'm positive he knows the situation and happy to see it out. And and, and by the way, that's also goal 200 for Bo as well. Thanks to uh, Batch for texting that in. There we go. 200th goal for Bo Horvat in his career. Big year, big game, milestone game for him. We'll see ultimately where his career goes. And we'll play you the latest on Bo Horvat's future from uh, Elliot Friedman. But before we get there, uh, we are going to play back the clip from Elliot talking about Rick Tockett and Bruce Boudreaux. Here is Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada when during a second intermission when he's talking about what the future holds behind the bench in Vancouver. We've been talking uh, last few days about Rick Tockett and the possibility of him there. Uh, when and or if the when and if the whole coaching change, change comes, uh, I do believe it's going to be Rick Tockett. So that's Elliot Friedman saying when and if a coaching change comes, it will be Rick Tockett. And I understand the questions. Uh, you know, JR had mentioned the players would uh, be moved before the coach gets moved. Why are they giving the players a pass is a question that just kind of came in. Not enough meaningful player accountability. And I think that's a fair point. Again, this doesn't mean 
a change is imminent. I think still we're talking about a few weeks here in terms of a new person coming in, or perhaps the, the hope had been to wait until the end of the season. But with all this stuff coming out, the reporting coming out of Hockey Night in Canada, Elliot Friedman's talking about it. You know it's permeating to everybody when it's on this big of a stage. Does it force you into an action even if you're trying to wait that. for it? It's why are you so motivated to do this right now? Because you know all this is going to come out. I agree. I mean, I agree with you. Like, I, I, I that don't to get me, th- like that to me also goes to Listen, bad process the, the, then. Okay. The, the team is naturally yeah. going for a fifth overall pick right now. For to, for sure. top five pick. Like, where are they in the standings after tonight's game picks? Still uh, seventh worst? Still seventh worst uh, tied with Montreal, who uh, also picked up uh, a loss tonight, 2-1 to the Islanders, uh, a regulation loss. So they're still tied with Montreal, but Canucks have a... Uh, an extra game in hand. So they're right there. Why get in the way of this? You have Connor Bedard potentially available in this year's draft. You have a high pick available for you. And, and like, what's say, the urge of trying to fix what you're seeing here this season? Like, if anything, make the trades. Like, make the Bo Horvat yeah. trade. Make the Luke Shen trade. Continue on this path to where the season is going. Talk about the plan. But I, I don't like the idea either of trying to salvage anything this year in, in that in that sense. Uh, one more out-of-town update. Uh, Arizona downed 2-1 to Minnesota uh, with seven minutes to go in the third. And the other one we were mentioning, Nashville. Uh, just keep an eye on them just because they – could they be a team that sniffs around uh, Bo Horvat? Uh, they're uh, down 4-3 with eight minutes to go. Uh, to Buffalo right now. Well, as far as Bo Horvat is concerned, uh, Bo Horvat and Luke Shen were also a big topic of conversation. Oh, we did not plan the segue. That was well done. No, but hey, there's an opportunity there. You take the opportunity (laughs) when it's there. And Bo Horvat, you know, his contract's up at the end of the season. Same thing with Luke Shen. A lot of trade speculation and some details here from Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick about those two players. Well, I'll start with Shen because uh, where did Luke Shen win two Stanley Cups, Ron? Uh, Tampa. That's right. The Tampa Bay Lightning, he was two-time Stanley Cup champion with them, and I believe they are interested again. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a pitch for his services, and I I think they're a legit contender to get him. Well, Horvat, uh, meanwhile, Vancouver Canucks captain having a career season right now, and the Vancouver Canucks have spoken uh, to some teams about him and his availability. At least one of those conversations revolved around three players, including that team's number one prospect. Now, I wouldn't describe at this point any of these conversations as serious. Uh, it sounds very much more like the Vancouver Canucks are just trying to read the marketplace and get a sense of what they could do at this point. And there's two ways, really, that the Vancouver Canucks can do a deal with their captain. One is a deal with Bor Horvat as a strict rental. The other, uh, they would allow the uh, the trading team to talk to Pat Morris, Bor Horvat's agent, and put together a big, bigger deal and a contract extension. As of this point right now, the Vancouver Canucks have not allowed any team to talk to Pat Morris. The belief is, as well, that Vancouver will go back to Horvat's camp at least one more time for one more, perhaps, last volley to try to get a contract extension done. We'll see where that one goes. That's Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada, the latest on Vancouver's situation. We'll get to the Tanner Pearson one a bit later, but these are the bigger news items in terms of moves, potentially. You heard the one on Rick Tockett and Bruce Boudreaux. This one here. And, you know, I've been mentioning this for a while. The Canucks will take one more run with Bull Horvat. And I also mentioned last week that there is there is more ac- and there's more discussions now around the league and there's more interest being shown in Bull Horvat. And that's something that Merrick talked about and said one team at the very least, they've talked about their best prospect, which means the discussions are getting a bit more advanced than what 
is this coinciding with, with more salary cap space opening up around the National Hockey League, getting closer to the All-Star break? Now we're starting to see some movement, some discussions, and some teams really getting on board with the Bull Horvat situation. But that's the latest on him. Luke Shen, actually specific here, Tampa Bay being interested in acquiring the player they won two Stanley Cups with. Yeah. Or one Stanley Cup with. And, and, and certainly there's some familiarity there as well um, for uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, was it not two Stanley Cups? Two. It was two, yeah, actually. It was two. Yeah, my bad. Um, the, the thing that kind of interests me is is what is Tampa Bay giving up in that scenario? They don't have a first. They don't have a second on uh, this upcoming draft. They don't have next year's first. They do have next year's second. Uh, not that it's guaranteed that Luke Shen fetches that type of return. Uh, but at that stage, I'm just kind of curious uh, what they intend to give up because they are they are a little shy as well uh, on but, on prospects because they're on this tireless chase of all these Stanley Cup runs. You deplete your organization of your, your overall assets. It's all well and good to want them. What are you paying to get them? I'd imagine they probably look at it and say, we're not looking at a guy who's going to cost us maybe a ton. So maybe they're I – mean, I'm with you. I don't see a natural fit. The only thing that could be happening is that the Canucks have a player or two on in that mind. roster in, in mind, mind yep. or in the, that they like. And maybe that's the case because we do know Vancouver does want some players who can help them the next couple of years. Not, they don't want necessarily older players, but they want prospects who are on the cusp. Mm-hmm. So they're not necessarily just looking for draft picks here and, and prospects who are 19 or 18 years old. So maybe there could be a fit in that regard somewhere where they feel like somebody would would be a fit for them and maybe one of the forwards up front that they feel like they can't sign or something that they may get ahead of. I know there's a couple of texts coming in earlier. Someone like Cal Foot slipped down the radar a little bit. Uh, they recently signed that Nick Perbix guy that uh, we were talking yeah. about recently. He was, he's extended for another two years. Uh, is that something that can be on the radar? Uh, obviously something to keep an eye on uh, with Tampa Bay. Yeah, so that's the latest on the trade front from Elliot Friedman on Luke Shen and Bo Horvat. We'll take your questions and comments on that as well as the show kind of goes on here. Uh, but before we do all that, we've been talking a lot about the head coach and his future. Well, he was behind the bench tonight in Florida where the Canucks lost 4-3. And here are his thoughts this evening after their fourth straight defeat on this five game road trip you know it's uh, too little too late we tried hard in the third period but you know when you give up those two goal leads going into the third period the statistics show that you're not for the most part gonna catch up and win Bruce you've had so many wins in your career and yeah. a lot of losing streaks how mm-hmm. hard is this losing streak <laughs> it's pretty difficult right now like I mean it's just uh, it's hard to take uh, I don't think anybody likes losing the people from Fans of Vancouver, the players hate it in there. We hate it in the coaching staff. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, the only thing you can do is, you, you know, you get get up tomorrow and you go back to work and, and you, you, you know, give it again. And uh, um, the one thing I'll say is <clears throat> the last three games, for sure, I mean, it's too little too, too late, but, I mean, we didn't quit. You know, we keep going, and that tells me that the team... It still wants to win every every time they go on the ice, and it's uh, we make too many mistakes during the portion of the game, and then we have to fight to get behind or to to catch up. I just just wake up every day and uh, and go to work until they tell me not to. It's the obviously the toughest stretch results wise since you opened the season. But because you had so many games left in October, is this does this feel harder? The, it the, feels harder. I mean, uh, uh, 
in October like we had 75 games left. You know, now it's uh, it's narrowing and teams in our division are, are winning, so it uh, it gets bleak. But you, you never say never. You know, you, you can turn it around and go on a winning streak. Uh, you know, hopefully, and that's what I believe in anyway. That there's always there's always hope. If you lose hope, then I mean, there's uh, then there's no hope for sure. You run out of words to talk about the PK. Yeah, it's just not good enough. You know, um, we try different combinations all the time, and uh, it seems like the, it, you know, we still find ourselves running around in our zone. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau after a 4-3 loss against the Florida Panthers in Florida and asked about if he's aware of the speculation around him. He says, hey, no, and uh, I want to keep showing up until they tell me not to show up anymore. Yeah, if you missed it, we'll we'll, we'll play it back here because it was fairly quick. Uh, yeah. That's a uh, walk the plank kind of quote. That's the I don't care anymore. I'm not. I know where this is going. Like, yeah. Whatever. You know. I feel bad. I mean, I, I yeah. I mean, Part of it's like a business. Got to get W's. And he is left kind of flapping in the breeze here. You know, uh, hey, uh, we don't know exactly what's going on. I, I, I don't know. You're right. Like, in terms of how a head coach is being publicly perceived to be treated, it doesn't look good. The optics aren't good. Now, whatever the, the reality is and how this is all kind of coming to pass, the look isn't good. And does it matter what the public perception is? Does it matter what the truth is? If the public perception is this guy's not getting a fair shake and he's being hung out to dry? Sure. You know, and I, and I think that's where it yeah. is more than anything. Can we hear it back here? About your future. Oh. I just, just wake up every day and... Uh, and go to work until they tell me not to. That uh, hmm is uh, fairly telling. Yeah, it's it's a tough spot, and that's why if you've actually made a decision, don't keep, let the guy keep hanging in the, in the wind. And if, oh. if, <laughs> Eddie Savage, yeah, it's just you can hear the shrug. It's like when you people ask shrug. me, "Vic, do you go work out today?" <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Again, if a decision's been made, the reporting that that Rick Tockett is going to be the next head coach of the Canucks if and when the Canucks make a change. If you're just waiting for a couple of weeks for whatever contract or whatever to play mm-hmm. out, whatever the situation is, if that's the case, then just be done with it. Let somebody be an interim. Let, yeah. let, let Mike Yo be the guy for a couple of weeks, and then you bring Rick Tockett in. You want to say you're, you're conducting a search, whatever it is, go ahead and do that. But this, it doesn't look good, and at this point... Maybe it's a mercy kill, but I think that's the right thing to do at this stage. And, and there's a text coming in here from, uh, oh, I just lost it, uh, G from Surrey. Uh, are the Canucks leaking this talking news now to change the narrative on the Pearson story? Here's the thing. You know what led Hockey Night in Canada on 32 Thoughts? The Pearson story. You know, you know what we spent a great time on in the postgame show? The Tanner Pearson story. You know what we're waiting to talk about with Ian McIntyre coming up? Because Ian McIntyre did a fantastic job at Sportsnet.ca. Great the re- reporting. The reason great we reporting. haven't got into it is because we're going to talk about it with iMac later on today. We're going to be talking about the Tanner Pearson story that to me like that story is far bigger than this one because it's how an organization is treating its players you cannot sit here and say we need to profit off of these players efforts and then not provide them every single medical benefit that they can get or give them every tool and avenue possible to be the best versions of themselves and be comfortable in this city and this it's 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 a fundamental thing that every single professional sports franchise has to do. 
You ask these guys to compete. You ask them to to put their body their bodies through carnage. And yes, they get paid millions of dollars, but they get paid millions of dollars by the employers that have to provide the the best medical coverage. Yes. And when you're not doing it, or something slips through the cracks, and sometimes things just go wrong, right? And we talked about it on on the last game: infections, whatever. Things happen sometimes. Things happen, and they're very unfortunate. And unfortunately, players have to go through it. But this is a huge deal, and the NHLPA now kind of getting involved, and we'll hear this from Elliot again and talk to IMAC uh, coming up here shortly. This is something the team absolutely needs to get right. They absolutely do, and we'll dig into that more. We'll play what Elliot Friedman had to say coming up after the break as well, and we'll hit a lot of your questions and comments as well. This one says, I couldn't watch the whole game. How did OEL fare after being scratched last game? We'll dig into that and more as the Canucks Central postgame show continues. Canucks 4-3 losers in Florida against the Panthers, and this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central postgame show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Tonight he's been rewarded with his first of the season, and it has the Canucks in front again. But here's a long shot for the line. Tip the Panthers score to tie the game at two. Eric Stahl got uncontested to the front of the goal and deflected the long shot past Spencer Martin. And the game is tied again. I just just wake up every day and, uh, and go to work until they tell me not to. Head, co- head coach Bruce Boudreaux after a 4-3 Who among loss. Us? <laughs> Who among us? Yes. Until they tell, us, tell me not to show up anymore. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's another one here for the Canucks where they lose a tough one. They made a push towards the third. Uh, like Rick said, I don't want to hear about valiant efforts anymore. <laughs> they, they're just coming up short. Others saying, uh, like Tone, hey, I want the team to lose. So when I hope for a loss, and they, or LJ says, don't change a thing. It's all working out. Bedard, Bedard, Bedard. It's awesome when you're wishing for a loss because you're happy at the end of the game. Try it. One bite from that apple. It's awesome. That's LJ taking a different look at uh, the wins and the losses. Um, now, as far as Bruce Boudreaux is concerned, Austin and Langley says, how do we go from Bruce there it is to this? He was the happiest guy at the draft when he got surprised by his favorite wrestler, and now he's a punchline. It's embarrassing. I feel bad for Bruce. We get it. We all kind of feel for Bruce in that regard. And Tyler says to Austin, who we read his text, is Austin the one who jinxes the Canucks when he watches them? Can he be the interim head coach for the remainder of the season to help get Bedard? Hashtag jokes per 60. That's from Tyler. Uh <laughs> uh this one i thought jim rutherford mentioned there would be roster changes before mm. the group gets a new coach it's just ridiculous giving the players a pass over and over and over and i wonder if that if, if some decisions have already been made on that and just mm. timing wise now yeah that's what it's waiting for so look we, we've we've crossed a certain certain threshold where like that certain things are done yes uh we're, we're, we're waiting for the countdown basically till march 3rd uh, and this one, can you guys explain Horvat as a rental? Thank you. Uh, well, we see every uh, trade deadline, uh, teams trading. Uh, and, and, and this part of the clip that Jeff Merrick was talking about, there's two styles of trades that the Canucks yeah. are trying to craft. One where they trade them as a rental, and that's the the, the price would be a bit lower because that team's only going to use them for the rest of the regular season and the playoffs. 
Whereas if you can speak to the agent and speak to the Horvat camp about a long-term extension and get that secured, traditionally that would mean more pieces coming Vancouver's way, but that's in the hands of the Vancouver Canucks to declare if they will allow the acquiring team to speak to them. And so far, no indication has been made the Canucks will allow Horvat to talk to any other teams, and they're still more than likely going to take one more run at a contract before they get to that. So still waiting to How see what happens. How performative, do you think? That's what I wonder, but we said the same thing about JT. Sure. And then the contract he ended up signing. I keep wondering, the Canucks didn't offer him the JT contract. Does he say no to $7 million per year over eight years? And maybe if he feels he's going to get, mm-hmm. you know, another eight or nine million total, 10 million total somewhere else, then maybe he goes somewhere else. But that's been my big question through all this pick. And we'll, we'll see ultimately what happens on that front. Now, we'll get to more of your text messages here coming up in a, in, in a couple of minutes. But um, we also got something. There was somebody who texted in about like, the common denominator. Was that oh, right. Uh, Lawrence texting in. Okay. Uh, come on, guys. Stand up and say it. There's only one common denominator in the last 10 years of this debacle. Have the stones to finally <laughs> say it. That is regards. Look, we've talked about this before. Especially he when- shall not be named. <laughs> It's especially when there are chants in the stadium about sell the team. Yeah. We've discussed this, right? If you've missed it, uh, you can go back and find it on the podcast. Um, we, we've touched on it, and, and direction of the franchise is obviously set out yes. from the top, from the ownership group. The way this has gone here, in particular this season, but really if you go back a couple of seasons – the lack of long-term planning has hampered this team. You can go back to 2013, 2015, and when the true rebuild should have started, and it never did, and they empowered a group to do the rebuild on the fly. That was a bad decision. We're sitting here in 2023. It hasn't lived up. But even more so than that, Sat, like this, this, the stuff that puts targets on your back is... Like the handling of players. Yes. And, and this Pearson thing, that to me is an organizational thing. Yes. And look, it's still like we'll see what the, how the smoke clears through all this. But it's a bad look. It, it's just a bad look. And that's the thing that we we're talking about uh, on Thursday is like these are the things that raise alarm bells for players across the league. And it's not just about, oh, who, who you can bring in on July 1st. It's just in general, how do you get players to go the extra mile for you when if these processes aren't handled correctly – and again, just to be fair, we'll see what it all the all party yeah. summit uh, brings out. You you have to get this stuff right as an organization, and to live off of past glories. And by the way, like even using that term is is loose because they didn't have the glory of of twenty eleven. But that cloak's been removed, and fans are now at the stage where they're chanting in the arena to see some change. You can't just reside in, in the, the cloak of 2011 anymore. I think that's over. And at the very least, the reputation of the team was different then. I know Kevin Bieks has talked about that a lot on Hockey Night. You've seen him talk about it on Sportsnet. Yannick Hansen talks to us about this all the time on the People Show with Bick on Canucks Central with myself and Dan. And he talked about it on, on Friday about how this organization was renowned for always taking care of the players. And the reputation was was sparkling in terms of how they reviewed. The food was fantastic everywhere. And not to say those things aren't happening anymore. There are a lot of good things, obviously, and the players have talked about it. But are you still considered in the same stratosphere as you were considered before amongst the best-run organizations in the league? Well, the success has not been conducive for a well-run organization. There hasn't been success here. And of course, like people mentioning, the owners will always wear it the most. They're the ones who own the hockey team, and, and fans have every right to 
expressed their concerns and their opinions on the on these things. And those days, the hope was with this new management team, they come in and change that perception and and move this organization forward. And so far, they've been stuck, perhaps even taking a step back and that move forward. We've all been waiting for has not yet come to pass. Now, you mentioned the situation with Tanner Pearson. And Elliot Friedman had an update on Tanner Pearson's situation on Hockey Night in Canada. He broke his wrist a couple months ago. He's had three surgeries since. His season has come to an end. The Canucks uh, released that. And the other thing that came out, of course, the other night was Quinn Hughes saying that situation was not handled properly. He walked that back in an interview with Ian McIntyre over the weekend. So he said, I didn't quite mean it the way it came out. But the reality is, Pearson's recovery is not going well and is causing concerns. And like Bick mentioned, the organization wants to hold a summit with all parties. But before doing that, they may have to speak to somebody else. And that's what Elliot Friedman documents here on Hockey Night in Canada. Well, Ron, the first thing I do is if you're still curious about this, you need the best context. I would go to sportsnet.ca and read Ian McIntyre's excellent story that he filed last night because that gives a great picture of what's going on. And in it, Jim Rutherford said he wants to have a meeting with all of the stakeholders to sort this out, figure it out, and get to the bottom of it. I don't think that's going to happen before the NHL Players Association meets with Pearson's camp first. And I believe that's going to happen early next week. It's now involved. It wants to get all the information and it wants to see where this is going to go and what it needs to do as part of it. Also, I believe really next week, Pearson is going to have another surgery. And while no date is set, I think he's going to have to have another one after that. So obviously the biggest concern is for Pearson. I hope this all works itself out, but there is real concern about the future of his career and what this is all going to mean. But I think the next big step is the Players Association getting involved and figuring out what it needs to do. That is Elliot Friedman on Tanner Pearson and his situation. And you just feel for the guy. He's going to have one more procedure and perhaps even one more after that. That just kind of tells you what he's dealing with here. Like whatever he's dealing with still needs potentially multiple surgeries just to get him right. And the whole thought of playing hockey seems to be really not even the first or second consideration at this stage. Just brutal. Um, Because you... the thing that's really concerning too is you look when when you have this type of injury you kind of just say okay four to six weeks and that's the the timeline we were operating under and now when you're talking about scheduling multiple surgeries what does the recovery timeline look like in that and it's already been discussed obviously this year is already done what does it do for next season and beyond in that scenario such an unfortunate circumstance uh, for Tanner Pearson, and I, I think more than anything, that's why you see Quinn Hughes kind of wearing his heart on his sleeve uh, the other night. Uh, you know, we, we discussed those remarks uh, on Thursday night, but it's just also, as he mentioned, you know, sticking up for a teammate and a, and a friend who clearly means a great deal to that yeah. locker room. No, it certainly does, and you just kind of the question always was what made Hughes come out and say that? Cause typically, and Yannick mentioned this to us on Friday, former player. Hey, what are your thoughts when a player comes out and says that? And, it wasn't unprompted because he was asked about Tanner Pearson, but the question was very innocuous. It's like, Hey, teammate, friend, he's done for the season. What are your thoughts? And that was what, what Quinn said, right? So I think that's what caught a lot of people's attention, even former players. And when that comes out, whether it's true or not, it creates a perception and a feeling that, that Yannick mentioned too. 
and that's what you have to deal with. The genie's out of the bottle, whether you intended it or not, or whether it's it's right or not. And and that's the kind of issue with these sort of things. And we'll have to see how it all kind of plays out. But more than anything, you just hope that a guy like Tanner Pearson, going through everything he's gone through, can get back to full health because that's not a way you want your career to come to an end if that's how it goes. You know, and not I think that's the big that's the biggest thing here. Uh, lock one over in the inbox six fifty six fifty. A lot of people are texting in. I'm going to pick one out here. Just with, it's William and Langley, but a lot of people are kind of echoing the same sentiment. Uh, rumors that OEL and Talkett didn't get along mm-hmm. in Arizona. Do you guys think it would be a different situation in Vancouver? And what was his coaching style in Arizona? And, and would it be a good fit in Vancouver? And here's the thing. When and if it's Rick Talkett, as much as I'm kind of sitting here and saying, like, there's a certain level of um, nepotism to this yes. hire, got to give him a fair shake to see what he can do. Obviously, the reputation going back to Pittsburgh was someone that was – one of the assistants, but did a great job handling players' personalities and getting the most out of them. In particular, uh, he was credited with working with Phil Kessel. And then going to Arizona, the thing that I've always wondered, it wasn't the most attractive playing style, but what do we always say about the Arizona Coyotes, right? It's like, how how deep was their talent? And was that the version of Rick Tockett hockey we really got to see, or did you just do what the best you could with some certain resources? Obviously, it's been very yeah. well detailed. He and OEL didn't get along no. at the best of times. And so will that materialize uh, here? Or, or sorry, I didn't say didn't get along at the best of times. The, it wasn't a productive the relationship. The relationship soured. How about that? Yes. And it came to the conclusion that OEL felt comfortable waving his no-move clause to get out of Arizona. And Tockett is known as somebody capable of being a taskmaster. Yes. And somebody who's capable of cracking the whip, to use another kind of cliche here. And those are the types of things you look at with this team and say, maybe that's what they need. I don't think Travis was, quote-unquote, a hard-ass, but he was a guy that wouldn't mind getting after guys. People know this. Boudreaux, very much a player's coach. Yeah. uh, Boudreaux, very much a player's coach. But Rick Tockett's a guy who's going to pull you aside Mm -hmm. and... Maybe not quite as fiery as Torch, but kind of cut from the same type of cloth. And maybe this organization feels that's what they need more of. One bonus, though. Uh, big ups to another member of the Bald Squad uh, coming to the city. Huge. Huge. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> uh, I, it's, it's great for my brand, is all I'm saying. Shout out. No. Shout out to the Bald Squad. <laughs> the Bald Squad. Coming up big. Uh, Paul and Sunshine Coast. Benning may have not managed the signings well, but there was never all this, there was not this much off ice drama like we have with Alvin. I think people forget there's always drama with this team. There's always things that were happening. Remember the bracket situation? I mean, player situation. Even Clark's thing. Yeah, like the COVID so shutdown. There, there was a controversy after controversy. Maybe not quite it's- as. The Trevor Linden situation, of course, like Eddie, Fast Eddie Gregory getting into my ear. There was always something. Right now, yeah. though, the past year has maybe been a, a lot more breakneck than we've seen recently. Like we, we talk about one coaching change, at least, front office changed completely. Mm-hmm. Player trade signing discussions seem to be nonstop. So it is certainly uh, in a rough spot here. Uh, this one says, you guys need to toughen up a little bit. Bleeding hearts as a pro sports is a billion-dollar business. You guys are on a need-to-know basis. I'm not quite sure what that's referring to, but that's all good. In regards Talking to Tanner Pearson? Tanner Pearson? Is that I don't what know. that is? Or maybe just about, you know, uh, people being upset about the losing and, or, I, I don't know. Let us know whatever it is yeah. uh, you want us to toughen up about, which is completely fine. Your All opinions are welcome. Not everyone is equal, but hey, at least you're welcome in terms of being presented here. But they don't get equal, say, uh, respect oftentimes. Now, some people texting out says, this one says, how could you own, how could you, um, 
criticize an owner who can't handle losing. These billionaires got where they are by pushing to be winners. I'm not a billionaire, but understand the mindset. Um, you know, well, so I get that. There's, I mean, hey, listen, you get people that, that are upset with owners. Others saying, hey, why you blame them? They, they spend a lot of money. Not all, you know, billionaires are this. Billionaires are that. I get it, but that's just a sentiment. That's what our text inbox gets mm-hmm. when the team struggles. I mean, you know, people tune in and said, "How come nobody talks about ownership?" It comes up all the time. People call in and bring it up halfway through their, their discussions. It gets mm-hmm. talked about all the time. Yeah, it's there's certain things worth defending, uh, and then there's certain things that just aren't. In particular, this, this Tanner Pearson thing like really bugs me. Yes, just really bugs me because it's something that should be an easy layup, right? How you your medical processes should be exquisite. And and the point I was making earlier, is yeah, I mean, and like that, that's you can't one thing profit you profit off the players' efforts and then not give them medical uh, elite medical care. The one thing you never cut corners with, you never mess with, is the health stuff. Yeah, because that's the stuff that matters the most to the players in terms of you know. And again, like, like what happened here, we don't exactly know. And what maybe what went wrong was just one of those unlucky things Random that happened. Things, yes. You know, like, and, and maybe that is the case, but. It's opened up a Pandora's box of discussions around this team and what that's going to be going on. Um, what kind of text was that? Uh, Aquilino was born into wealth. Yada yada. So again, you get a bit of everything. I'm, I'm just telling you, you get everything on this. Well, text the other thing box. I was going to say on on <laughs> just just North American sports ownership. Right? Yes, they are vanity plays. Okay. Yes, I just want to be very clear, but like th- there's a certain element of hey, I get to own a sports team. And I get to brag about it, friends. I'm not saying that's what's happening here. I'm just saying, as a general rule of principle, yes. that's a safe assumption to make. There's only 134 of these teams in North America. That's some quick maths, uh, for, you know, from the four major sports. Kind of cool to brag that you have one of 134 properties. It's why people buy yachts. It's why people. And yeah. I don't. I have no idea what it's like to be a billionaire, but it is a major vanity thing. There are some organizations and. Some owners, and I'll say they are the exception to the rule, someone like Mark Cuban, who it's all like, hey, I want to win a championship and I'll do whatever I can. But for for the most part, like this is for-profit sports entertainment. Yeah. For a lot of people, it's make a buck and it's kind of a vanity play. I don't disagree with you, man. Um, you guys are on a need-to-know basis. Who was who was that texting in? Gordon Gecko coming up shorthouse, sending his thoughts in. All right. Uh, appreciate the thoughts Reed on the text inbox. I like it. All right. Uh, let's go to the phone boards, try to get a call in here. Let's go to White Rock, where Steven is on the line. Steven, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Um, so I just kind of, uh, you know, to provide the perspective of, you know, a lot of people who listen to the show have played sports their whole lives. And I have a, a lot of respect for Bo Horvat as a hockey player and as a human. And, you know, the guy does a lot of great things for our city. Um, you know, but as someone, again, who sits on the bench and who has been on a team and, you know, even works for a company as part of a team, when your leader is supposed to be the guy who leads your team, and it's not even just been this year, but it's been seasons where this guy, and it's gotten under my skin for a while, where he just watches his team get just beat up all over the ice and he doesn't do anything about it and people wonder why miller got the money that he did and say what you want about him and the drama and all that kind of stuff but the guy cares and when he sees something happens more often or something happened to a guy on his team on the ice more often than not he does something about it and whether you're on the ice or whether you're on the bench and you see one of your guys, and it doesn't matter if they're a first-line player or a fourth-line player, they're your brother at the end of the day. 
And you see them get back-checked into the boards. And I'm going to refer to Connor Garland getting punched in the face the other night. I hate to say it, but that was, like, honestly, man, that was like PTSD 2011 all over again. Because all we've seen for 10 years is these guys get beat up on the ice. And you can be having a great game. You can be on a great streak. But you can get demoralized so easily. And it doesn't matter how much skill you have, you know, it, it's, it's the chemistry that the team builds. And when you're watching this stuff, it just kills it. And the, the last little point I will make is we're supposed to have been in a bit of a rebuilding phase or, you know, at least a bit of a retooling phase the last couple of years. And like you guys have mentioned, we've let guys go. And it might sound cheesy, say what you want, but, you know, we've let guys go like Jonah Gadjevich and Zach McEwen who arguably bring a physical component to the game. Zach McEwen has nine points in, you know, this year. And is he a stud? No, but he serves a purpose and he plays a role. And, you know, again, when we're at this phase right now, we need guys to play a role. I love, you know, McKay's all right. Garland's this, Garland's that. You know, I will say Jim Benning absolutely butchered this team. And it kills me, but we need to strip this thing down and put guys in role players. You know, I, I would have loved if Zach McEwen was here for a long time. I think yeah. he served a great purpose. And, um, yeah, I think I'll just summarize with that. We need a leader. Bo Horvat is a good hockey player. He is not a leader. Look what happened when Jack Eichel left Buffalo. Sometimes you're just not in the right place. I got you. Hey, and, thanks, um, hey Stephen, thanks for the phone yeah. call. Good run there. I have to cut you off because we're running up against the clock, but uh, good run and some good thoughts, and we get the gist of what you're talking about in terms of need more toughness and more fight from this team, but really took aim at, at the captain, Bo Horvat, for his lack of response overall, but more so uh, when Sergachev punched Garland the other night. I want to get into that on the other side because on Thursday we defended the moment. Uh, I'm going to show a little bit of flexibility and flip-flop. All right. Uh, we'll talk about it on the other side. Vic's going to flip-flop. We'll hear from uh, you as well, and we'll hear from Ian McIntyre plus JT Miller as the Canucks Central Post Game Show rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650, and the Sportsnet Re- Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Bringing you the most Canucks coverage in B.C. Only on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks back to work in the offensive zone. Miller, right boards, feeds the line for Pedersen. Left point to Hughes, back to Pedersen. One-timer, he scores! Elias Pedersen with a long-range drive from the line. Beats Sergei Bobrovsky, and the Canucks get a power play goal to make it a one-goal game. It's 4-3. to three. Pedersen's first power play goal of the year. Nope, not his first power play goal of the year. Nice cut by Fast Eddie Gregory, Eddie our producer. Eddie putting in work. Uh, we had a scoring change after the game. Post-game yeah. scoring change. The goal has now been credited to Bo Horvat, his 30th goal of the season. It was weird, too. I went back and watched it. Horvat's celebrating as if he tipped it. So he knew. Yeah. He knew. Surprised it took so long to uh, get that uh, recredited. Well, it's the NHL. They're probably busy investigating Tanner Pearson. <laughs> The scorekeepers in Florida be like, we didn't be aware of this. What is going on here? Uh, so, okay, we are going to take a couple more calls. Ian McIntyre is going to join us. And we are going to hear from JT Miller, and we'll run through uh, a lot of stuff going on here. Marcus and Gibson says, good-looking game tonight. One step closer to, to a top-five pick. You get that sentiment. Uh, a lot of talk about Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat, this caller in White Rock, can you name some examples of where Miller has jumped in for a teammate? Really try and tell us Miller cares more than Horvat. We're all I, watching the same team, right? I, I think he means from the emotion 
JT shows and, and the, the fire where it's not static, where we've seen that from Horvat. Uh, and, and we talked about it the other game, too. It's like you can't really have it both ways, where it's like, oh, the team doesn't show enough emotion. And the team, some players show too much emotion. Uh, it, it's, it's a fine line, but for Steve in particular, he likes that someone is showing a certain level of emotion. So on Thursday night, Sat, you yeah. and I sat here and said, and also, I want to be very clear. I still don't think this is a big deal, but I've changed my opinion on it. So you're flip-flopping to criticize Bo. But here's the thing. We sat here, and we sat, we said, hey, he didn't penalize the team. That's fine. It's, it's, you're trying to tie the game, so don't put yourself in a leveraged spot where the officials right. can make a call against you, and you wind up in the box. Intellectually, I can sit here and say that was a fine thing to do. That's not the defense Bo used, though, in postgame and speaking to Ian McIntyre. Yeah. And you read Ian's Gamer, he's talking about it, and Ian says, standing three feet away from that punch, Horvat looked in disbelief that no penalty was being called. And here's Bo's quote says, I feel bad now not doing anything in Garley's defense, but I thought for sure it was going to be a penalty. I mean, he probably, probably one of the harder punches I've ever seen after a whistle, the ref standing right there and no call. He's on the other side of the net, and you're not expecting some guy to reach over the net and sucker you in the face. Okay? So intellectually, that's Bo saying, I know I should do something, but I'm expecting the refs to make a call. Right. That's saying, I know I should jump in there. But I'm expecting someone else to do the job for me and handle this. If you know you should do it, then do it. But yeah, or, I understand. But if your whole thing is like, oh, I didn't want to take a penalty, then say you don't want to take a penalty. Don't say, I know I should do this and I feel bad, but the rest should do it. And well, what I, problem what do, you, do we say constantly about this team this year? A bunch of people waiting for someone else to do a job. I mean, I, I get that. You're right because he's waiting for some. But at the same time, if you're waiting for the call to be made because you don't want to take yourself off the power play, I get it. And he's like, well, if I knew they were going to call the penalty, I would have done something. But it's useless to say that. I get yeah. what you're saying. It's, it's, perf- it's a performative sentence even if you mean it because you're waiting for the penalty. You weren't going to do it anyways. You know what I mean? Like You can't wait till after the penalty and be like – and then once you realize the penalty wasn't, wasn't being called, why don't you go and grab him? Like, if that's what you're saying, I get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I just have a hard time being mad at that sequence, just in general. And ultimately, like, the, the, the conclusion of the play, it's still, hey, he didn't take a penalty. They had the chance to score it. And Lane Peterson is obviously the one that gets the best chance. But then you can't say, oh, I feel bad for Garland. I should have done something. Yeah. What? Just say, oh, I didn't want to take us on the... I understand what you're the saying. Opportunity. I understand what you're saying. But that whole sequence, like, as I can't change my tune on it. I... Again, like I, I just I'm changing my it. tune because the quotes come out from him. But, but I mean, since when have you been inspired by any of the post game quotes? Anyways, you know what I mean. It's just they're just words. Like how many times I've been saying these post game interviews are just words. I mean, Bose, how many times? Like, but that's I'm emotion. I feel bad for Garley. Well, his teammate. He and I thought the ref teammate. was going to do well, something. He feels bad for his teammate. Is he not supposed to be feel bad for his? He took a punch to the face. Well, he could have stepped up. As again, we sat here. We were like, oh, it's not a big deal. Didn't pen- then say it. I don't want to take the team off. Yeah. The- off our opportunity. Steve from White Rock text in, anybody who has played sports understands you never leave things in the hands of a referee, although sometimes teams do. So general statements, but I understand. Uh, This one says, yes, let's hire the guy who ran an illegal gambling ring to replace Boudreaux. That's from Mike. Listen, the Canucks are betting on Rick Tockett, perhaps. That might be happening. Now... You really just want to get that. (laughs) I was waiting for it. I had to. They've really uh, parlayed a lot of Penguin tires. <laughs> yeah. Uh, slap shop offer? Operation Slap Shop? All right. Uh, okay. Well, we have some fun with that. So, obviously, you know, the rumors are with Rick Tockett perhaps being the next Canucks head coach if and when, whenever a change does happen. All right. Uh, 
we're we're going to play some clips back from JT Miller. Uh, and we'll get to more of your text messages. But we have people waiting patiently on the phone boards to get on. So let's go to Terrace, uh, where our friend Aiden is on the line. Aiden, thanks for hanging on. Oh, no, uh, you know what? We have Gary. Gary, thanks for hanging on to your line, man. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? First of all, can you hear me? Yes, we got you. Okay, I'm going to talk about what we've been talking about in the last five minutes about that punch. I'm not a Boston Bruin fan necessarily, but I know that they have Frederick. He doesn't score a lot of goals, but he does have a um, what he does. We don't have him. Then you got Washington. Nobody likes Tom Wilson, but he does what he does, and he's also on the number one line. He's been injured all year, but that's what they've got. Now, Stamkos, who we just played, he's dropped his gloves quite frequently, and a guy by the name of Landeskog, who happens to be the captain of Colorado. I've seen him drop his gloves, and he doesn't think, he doesn't talk about it, he simply does it. Bo Horvat doesn't do that. And you know what? Just between you and I and the rest of your listeners, that's not good enough. We are The Vancouver Canucks need... They need something, and it isn't J.T. Miller. It isn't Bo Horvat. We need a di- possibly a different coach, maybe a different owner, but we need something because after watching what I saw in, uh, on, um, in Tampa Bay when the guy got punched, the guy that punched him was 6'1 and 200 pounds. Bo Horvat, six, six feet tall and 210. All he had to do was do something about it, but did he? No. That's what our problem is. It isn't scoring. We have an attitude problem, and we've had it since 2011 when uh, Daniel Sedin or one of the Sedins got punched by little pipsqueak Marchand, and and his brother was on the ice. Did he do anything about it? No. It's been 10 years. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for the phone call. That's Gary calling in, taking aim at Bo Horvat now. People have been defending Bo Horvat in the text inbox, uh, saying, uh, you know, um, well, Bo Horvat still... after uh, Steve uh, in, in Yeah, in, in the I disagree with the caller. Uh, I thought you all wanted Bedard, Bo Horvat. Um, this is a great call, fellas. They've been beat up for 10 years, and people disagreeing with it. But I will say this. Usually, back in you know back a couple of years ago, or even you know over a year ago, somebody called in and, and ripped Bo Horvat. You had like, the phone boards lighting up, people calling in to defend Bo Horvat. It's, it, the discussions, obviously, are a bit different now, and Bo's in the middle of a career season. Got his 30th goal of the year. Oh, another tip-in. Yeah, another tip-in goal. Crushing it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm just going to read this uh, jokes per 60 here from Vikingstad. Uh, Talking as a player would have been an all-time favorite Canuck for what he brought. He's won cups on the ice and from the bench. Yes, we need to draft big. Or, yes, we need a big draft and player changes, obviously. But I'll roll the dice on Talkit. Sorry, I couldn't help getting in on it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's too easy to pass up. Uh, coming up, Shorthouse. Do you know how hard it is to run an illegal gambling ring? If he can do that, he can coach the Canucks. This is, uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Fans would have freaked out if Horvat took an unnecessary penalty. Uh, yeah. yeah, look, that, that that's part of it. I, I'm just for the people that are the, you know that are texting in. Are you re- you're reading way too much in a quote? It's like, well, that's an on uh, to me. That's an honest interpretation of a teammate getting punched. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I don't disagree with that. Renfro Marco need to trade Horvat now before he gets injured. We can't risk it. And so 
Elliot and Merrick talked about the Bo Horvat trade front and that there's not really anything picking up. Well, there there have been more discussions, but the Canucks are still going to talk contract. That whole idea of resting Bo Horvat or trading him now, I still think we're a couple of weeks away from that really still being if an not option. A month. You know, and but we are getting closer because, like, mm-hmm. like Merrick mentioned, the Canucks did talk to a team and they spoke about a few players on that team, including their top prospect. So now, just to frame this. This could be a team that doesn't have a deep pipeline, and it just so happens it's their number one prospect, right? Like, number one prospect is a very nebulous term. Yes. It could be a team that's flush with assets, and it's like, oh, my goodness. If you can get the number one prospect, amazing. Or it could be like Yanta Lakaramaki. <laughs> yeah. Not, and, and I'm just saying he's a good yeah. prospect, but if that's your best prospect, I mean, it's, you know, like, that's Vancouver's best prospect. Different conversation all yes. of a sudden. So. Not to dispute any of Jeff's reporting or anything like that. It's just taking into context what number one prospect means. Yeah, number one prospect on a team doesn't mean blue chip prospect. A team like, say, Tampa Bay, their number one prospect is different, vastly different than, say, a team like L.A., where they're a bit more flush with yeah. prospects, and they've had some trouble turning those prospects into pros. But nevertheless, totally different context here and maybe pending on the team we're talking about maybe there's more of a return but you know we've mentioned the handful of teams here sat that are looking for centers obviously colorado's uh, name constantly gets mentioned you know is their number one prospect be exciting to you would someone like carolina their number one prospect be exciting to you and on and on and on you can go down through the list uh there's a handful of teams that you would say uh i'd love their number one prospect but some others maybe not yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, like this text unsigned says, it's obviously Shane Wright, guys, with Seattle being linked. Nashville's been linked. Again, like the number of teams have been linked recently. It's hard to say which one they're talking about specifically. But yeah, Seattle's a name that's been thrown out there as well. But it's also, just speculating on the actual name of the team and the players, but that was reporting today. We, we, we've talked, too, of how certain teams have crossed a certain financial threshold. Uh, you know, Winnipeg. Uh, now crosses that. Nashville has recently crossed that, uh, where they can take a 50% retained yeah. Bo Horvat as of today and still fit it under their cap. Uh, throw in the Islanders, uh, throw in the Minnesota Wild. So suddenly the, the list of uh, teams that have accrued enough cap space continues to widen. It certainly does. Now, we'll talk more about those things with Ian McIntyre is going to join us in a few minutes. But as we mentioned, JT Miller spoke with the media post game, and here he is after a 4-3 loss in Florida against the Panthers. I'm just kind of sick of it. You know, it's not one particular thing right now. I just thought we played, you know, 5-on-5 five five pretty darn well to win the game tonight. Um, Tommy Kill just seems to be giving us some issues right now, and it's tonight, you know, tonight it probably cost us a little bit. Uh, you know, like I said, I thought we played pretty darn well 5-on-5. Five five. Talk about the penalty if you had the answer, I guess you would fix it by now. I don't really know. Yeah, I don't have to say. I mean, I'm a, I'm a part of it. You know, I demand better for myself. I know everybody takes a lot of pride in it, but it seems like no matter what we do right now, it's in the back of our net, and that's a really bad feeling. So we need to find a way to man up and do the job tomorrow. I'm glad, glad we don't have much time to think about it. Playing one of the best teams, probably one of the hardest back-to-backs of the year. So we need to be ready, or it's going to be, it's going to be ugly. So. Because I've talked a lot about how much you care about Bruce, how much you respect for Bruce. How does it feel for you not being able to deliver for Bruce like this? Well, we all have a job to do. You know, it's uh, you know, it's not just Bruce. It's you know, we all have a job, and uh, we want to win for each other. Because when you win, play for each other, and win more games as a, as a group and entirely, you know, it becomes contagious, as we saw last year for the most part of the second half. So, it just sucks right now. I. Uh, wasn't a lack of effort today, that's for sure. Just tired of coming up a little short.
that's JT Miller talks about being sick of what's going on with the team, the PK, but he's a big part of it. It mentions they are still playing for Bo. I mean, they're playing for um, Bruce Boudreau, but it's more than just Bruce Boudreau. They need to play for each other. That's what they're trying to do. But obviously, the results are not there. So the exasperation, Bick, is still very notable in the voice of the players post game. Certainly, and again, there's some effort. Some push late in games. This is really more about what they do earlier in the games than it is, are they still playing for Bruce? The the, the second period woes sad. I mentioned it earlier. They're minus 17 in the second period. The first and third uh, aren't as dire. There's uh, minus 5 in the first period and minus 3 in the third period, but minus 17 in the second period. Is that a coaching thing? Is that a line change thing? What happens in the second period that they completely switch off and that they constantly have to make these pushbacks uh, late in games where it just falls short? And it looks like they're still trying for their coach, but ultimately they end up uh, down a goal and losing by a goal. Yeah, yeah, and that's ultimately what happened. And the reason why JT was asked about Bruce Boudreaux is because the speculation is now running rampant and uh, reporting, too, obviously, from Elliot Friedman that... If and when a coaching change is made, it is going to be Rick Tockett. It looks like it's going to be Rick Tockett. I know Darren Dreger has also had reporting recently that there will be a coaching change uh, within the next four to six weeks potentially. So this stuff's out there, and that's kind of the backdrop with the game tonight and what got mentioned on Hockey Night in Canada. And even Boudreaux was asked about it, and uh, we had some... I mean, it's not having fun at his expense. It's just... It's an awkward situation. Hey, what, what, what did we said about the uh, post-game show this year? Jokes for 60. We try to have fun at our sure. expense, at everybody's expense. Joke around a little bit, have a few laughs, because there hasn't been a lot to laugh about this season. And it's just the reality of where the Canucks find themselves currently. Uh, yeah. Uh, from, from Indian Rocket texting in, Rick Tockett asked me betting on himself being the next head coach of the Canucks. They're coming in. The jokes are coming in. Yes. 650, 650. <laughs> yeah, they certainly are. And and as far as Bruce, like we talked about, what happens with him when his road trip ends? There's one more game to go. I don't know if anything happens before tomorrow's game. I think he probably gets through that. But is he behind the bench when they come back here next week? It's a fair question to ask with no, everything going on. It really is. And you know these things can move at a rapid pace, and especially the way this has been trending here. I still felt like... Five weeks might be the timeline here. Get through the All-Star break. Yeah, and then kind of see what happens after that. But here's the thing. It's like we're, we're sitting here with this news. Is this is is it going to go faster than we realize? And well, in, in the interim, you do go with just a someone behind the bench. Yeah, and that's kind of what I wonder about at this stage. And the way it's going for Bruce, it just seems wholly unfair. And I've been critical of Bruce's performance this yeah. year behind the bench. There are a lot of things we can criticize and talk about that I don't like, not finding answers. But kind of hanging in the wind doesn't seem like a fair spot to put your coach. Or at least let your coach be based on how everything here is unfolding. To talk about that and more is the man we call the closer, the man who is a triple threat. You hear him on radio. You watch him on TV. You read him on digital. He is Ian McIntyre. We should say, too, the man who's uh, been putting in some work at Sportsnet.ca with the fantastic Tanner Pearson story. Yeah. Thanks, guys. uh, It's been quite a week, 
quite a road trip uh, for the Canucks and those of us who are so ennobled to be able to follow them and write about everything that happens around this team. It's, uh, you know, what happens on the ice, all those losses and the way they lose these games would be exhausting enough. But then you have all you have all the drama. I can report that Bruce Boudreaux was still the coach when the team got on the bus to leave tonight. Well, you know, and that's a bit of gallows humor. Uh, I think probably Bruce could could use a laugh himself because you're talking mm-hmm. about fairness. I don't really think much has been fair uh, with regard to to the head coach uh, from management since since the end of last season. Yeah, and you know, Ian, we'll just start there on the Boudreaux stuff, and we'll get to the ten- some of the Tanner Pearson details. Well, and you're right. I mean, unfortunately, the story, the game story itself, has kind of fallen to the backdrop on a post game discussion based on everything that's kind of going on here. Elliot Friedman made the strongest reporting so far, essentially saying Rick Tockett is going to be the Canucks' next next head coach more like more than likely if and when the Canucks make a change. We all agree it's only a matter of time before Boudreaux is done as head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, and if that's kind of hanging over the team. Are we getting to the point where the right thing needs to be done here and, and move, get on with it? I, you know, uh, I would say yes, uh, but, you know, the right thing could have been done in October or the right thing, which would have been a different thing uh, back in in May or June mm-hmm. could have been done then and it wasn't done then. Uh, I just think there's there's so many points where it seemed like this was was untenable, that it couldn't continue, and yet here we are just starting the second half of the season tonight and, and Boudreaux is still here, kind of a dead man walking. Um, you know, I, I don't know that it really has much effect on, on players now. I think they're probably accustomed to the dysfunction, uh, because it's, it's been such a common denominator. Um, but you know, yeah, it would be, it would be nice if they could, if they could just, you know, make their decision and 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 be done with it. But, anyways, I if you if you ask Bruce, I bet he would love to just keep on coaching because he uh, he's won everywhere that he's been, and uh, in the regular season. And uh, I, I think he genuinely feels like if he had enough time, they they would win this season as well. But it's getting awfully late. I know you gets talk. Late, uh, get, gets late early, isn't that the the yeah. saying? Was that was that a Yogi Berra who came up with that one? It gets late early for the Canucks. Um, I'll, I'll look who. Yeah, actually, it was uh, Yogi Berra. Um, you had the great quote from Kyle Burrows, just like they're still playing from Bruce, and we were just kind of talking about it. It, it. it still looks like the late efforts are there, Ian, but. It's it's what's happening much earlier that is burying these guys that they have to show that it seems like they're still trying for Bruce because uh, they're all constantly coming from behind right now. Yeah, I mean, there you watch the Canucks on this road trip, and, and JT Miller said it tonight. It's not a lack of effort, and I know probably some people will scream at that quote coming from JT Miller because there is a there has been a lack of effort on some back checks, but you know the team as a whole. Uh, you know the the difference now from you know at the start of the year when they were really bad is they they had they had so little urgency to their game you know they kind of they kind of lost meekly and you can see in these games there's some there's some urgency to the Canucks the Winnipeg game wasn't 
wasn't great. But there's some urgency to the way they've been been playing and they've been in these games against you know much better opponents. Tonight was the most winnable game by far of the trip because Florida is, you know rivals Vancouver for underachievement, you know in a different context. Uh, this season and now they're now the Canucks by the way they have the hardest game of the road trip which is tomorrow in Carolina but you know the players the players aren't giving up they they just make too many mistakes and and maybe that maybe that's what we should be talking about with regard to to Bruce is that they just make too many mistakes the problems they have now are the same problems that have uh, sunk them all season you know, the penalty killing, the defensive coverage, um, their inability to escape difficult points in games without letting one goal be followed by another. And we saw it again in, in the, the second period tonight. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just, they can't get out of their own way. You know, the, they, they do try hard and they do have far more talent than what they're position indicates and they can score goals but you know i remember luke shen saying and he said it kind of as a warning as a shot across the bow on the very first road trip after the team you know had blown i think it's second maybe the third two goal lead it was either in philadelphia in game two or washington in game three he said clearly scoring is not the problem so we we better get better at defending and we're in game 42 and it's the same thing. You know, scoring is not the problem and they haven't got better at defending. No, they haven't. And I just look at the team. The question just really just becomes about what happens next. And we talked about the coaching stuff. And one of the things you wrote about, I wanted to get into was Tanner Pearson and everything that unfolded with his situation and Quinn Hughes coming out and saying that situation wasn't handled properly. You spoke and caught up with Quinn who kind of rectified what he said and what he meant with the situation. You caught up with Jim Rutherford who said they were going to do a summit. Now what Elliot Friedman reported today was before any internal summit happens in Vancouver, they are going to have to talk to the NHL and NHLPA about this. What do you make of this ongoing situation with Tanner Pearson's injury, with him being out for the rest of the season? Yeah, well, it, it's it's a mess, and and it's an embarrassment for the organization that it has it has come to this. Now, I think the one thing we all need to be careful about, and, and this is maybe more from a legal uh, perspective than anything, is is you know, we haven't heard from Tanner. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ha- we haven't heard from from his agent, Joe Resnick. We don't know exactly. Well, we, we didn't. Not exactly. We don't. We don't even know in in broader terms exactly what may have gone wrong and and what the contentious part is, other than you know surgery or rehab. But you know, beyond that, we we just don't have a whole lot of details. So. You know, we need to, I think, uh, withhold some judgment till we get a little more. But the fact that we're even in this to the point where there's an investigation by the club into its own practices, there's involvement from the players' association uh, in this, and that and the NHL is is looking at it as well. You know, that's it's all an indictment of how the club. Uh, handled it and and even if it turns out that they handled it well or or not well but even if it turns out 
you know, the, that there's no sort of malpractice uh, or, or, you know, maybe there's the, uh, a lot of bad luck involved. I don't know, but it, it's hard to see how this in any way is, is anything other than just an indictment of the way the organization is, has operated and that it needs to do a lot better. Like it just, it just has to be better. It has to be better on the ice, has to be better off the ice. I, I did want to follow up on something uh, that you wrote, and, and just for clarification purposes, because it feels like there's an idea that Jim Rutherford was unaware of the extent of the injury. Um, the the quote you kind of put out there, is no. that about unaware of the, the questions from the players about the recovery process? Yeah, there, there's uh, I've seen that as well, and I think people are misinterpreting that, and it... it it's not that he was unaware of the extent of the injury. Of course, he knows that the player has had a couple of setbacks. Of course, he knows that that you know Tanner Pearson was still out uh, when he should, uh, according to the original timeline, mm-hmm. have been in. I think what he w- was unaware of. In fact, I know what he was unaware of when he was when he said it to me. Was and so maybe it's my fault for not writing it uh, more clearly or explaining it. But he was unaware that there was any question about course of treatment. So but, he was unaware that that Tanner Pearson had another surgery. They 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 wrote the press release right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not that he was unaware of his condition. He was unaware that there was there was any question or debate about the course of treatment that led to that point. And uh, he said that there had been no complaints from, from players. And I, I presume not from the agent either. And, and so he was, Rutherford was the first he thought or heard that there could be an issue of course of treatment and how the Canucks got to this point, not just that the player was hurt, was when Quinn Hughes said that it wasn't handled properly, and good for Quinn for speaking up. And he did, you know, talk to me yesterday uh, at practice a little bit. Quinn did, and I, I wouldn't say that he uh, he really took her, uh, anything back. I think he wanted to just say he's not blaming anyone uh, for what has happened, but he's he's very upset that a teammate has had to go through this. And, uh, you know, I think probably a lot of the players want to know what happened and, and how we got to this point, because there's, that's one of the most, uh, sacred trusts that there, there is in a sports organization that the players feel like the, the, the club has their best interests at heart and will act in, in that way. And I, I'm, I don't want to even suggest that the Canucks were, not concerned or didn't have the best interests of, of Tanner Pearson at, at heart, but clearly something happened along the way because it's a four to six week injury has turned into a lost season. And from everything we're hearing, you know, there's doubt about next season as well. There's doubt about Tanner Pearson's career. And when you get to that point from where they started with the injury on November 9th, Absolutely. There's some explaining to do. 
Uh, there certainly is, and it's one of those things where we're not going to get any answers anytime soon, it seems like, but there are tons of stories to keep digging into with the Vancouver Canucks, and it seems to be another eventful road trip that ends tomorrow in Carolina against the Hurricanes, so we'll chat with you after that game tomorrow, Ian, to see what the latest is in all this, and we'll see who's still a Vancouver Canuck by the time they get home here next week. We will. We will. Always something, guys. It certainly Thanks is. for having me on. Great stuff as always, Ian. Make sure to read his latest on sportsnet.ca. Great stuff this past week. And uh, yeah, we've had a lot of fun on this show. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. Tomorrow, Canucks are in Carolina against the Hurricanes. 2 p.m. puck drop. Pre-game show gets going at 1. And Bick and myself will be here for intermissions and also the post-game show. So a lot more to dig into on Sunday for your Vancouver Canucks. And we'll see what the latest is when it comes to the off-the-ice situations as well. You something else is going to happen in the next 12 hours? Are you betting against it? <laughs> I know one guy who it is. I see. All right. Uh, that is, that brings us an end to the post game show. It's Satyar Shah with Bick Nazar. We're back at it again tomorrow. Thanks for everybody listening and being part of the show. Can't wait to talk to you again tomorrow. Appreciate it. This has been the post game show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.